Hey, friends. Feel free to give that a little hand. Like, God is... Um, God is moving, isn't he? And that is... Thanks for showing that video. It's, it's a story. It's a live testimony. We all have a story. And um, I have some colleagues that are from North India in, in my hometown of Abbotsford. And uh, I, I go to their house. And they don't um, eat like I eat, maybe. Well, they actually do, because I love their food. Um, uh, it's not called Indian food where I come from. It's just called food. And um, they're in full-on culture shock. Pray for the Passy family. I mean, there is nothing in Canada that reminds them of India. Absolutely nothing. Go to India. There will be nothing that reminds you of Canada. There won't be a sight, a smell, a sensation, a flavor, uh, anything, there will be nothing that will remind you of Canada. Um, and so imagine relocating your family. They're not immigrants, they're missionaries. They are immigrants, but they are missionaries living on faith. And we're learning a lot. I could tell you stories of what we're already learning through the eyes of Arun and Anjana and their two boys, Daniel and Joel. Uh, okay, I'll tell you this quick story. I have so many stories, but um, it's good to be here with you. I'm just, I'll just say this and then say who I am again. Um, their 10-year-old boy, Daniel, you, you saw him, well, the young plays the drums and he's going for a walk just before Christmas with his dad and he's missing friends. He's missing family. He's missing his grandparents up where they come from, right? And he's, dad, what are we doing here again? And his dad says, you know, Daniel, we're called to reach South Asians. God called us here. And they've been visiting different churches in Abbotsford, one or two in Vancouver. They've been to the island. He's sharing his story. Arun is, a, is an articulate, gifted speaker. And, that, and he said, this is why we're here, son. We, we, their, their vision is to just do house churches, not to build buildings, but just a movement of house churches that would spread throughout the lower mainland and reach our neighbors, all of our neighbors. Um, and that's why we're here. And, and then Daniel said, every church we go to, Dad, is full of Christians. Why don't they do it? Why don't they do it? And I went, oh, give the kid the mic. <laughs> you know, they come from an unreached part of the world where you're, you're lucky if in, your, you know, in a, in a three, six-month period you're going to meet another Christian on the street in the market. And here, everywhere they go, there's, there's lots of seats here that we can fill, but there's a lot of Christians in this room. And we have a mission, and God is on a mission. And he loves us, and he loves our neighbors. And that's kind of what's been on my heart to share with you this morning. My name's Sam. I've been here before. Some of you I've met. Maybe, hopefully, some of you I haven't met. And uh, it's great to be in your community, to be listening to your stories of praise, to be praying with you and sharing, and sharing in the, the heartache of people getting ill. Um, that's tough, tough as well. I, I drove in with my dad. It's a gift to have him visiting from, from Manitoba for the weekend. So I had company. My wife Heidi sends greetings. She's at South Abbotsford Church in Abbotsford today. I've got two kids. My daughter Anna is 20 in university and Zachary just started at Simon Fraser this year as well. He just turned 19 on Wednesday, the 25th. Is that, was that Wednesday or Thursday this week? Yeah, and uh, so that's the stage of life I'm in. Uh, I'm not so cool anymore. Um, they'll come around and realize 
once they move out maybe or something, that dad knows some things. Um, but I, I love every stage, and uh, it's just great to have the gift of grandparents for the weekend from out of town. So it's cool that he drove in and uh, gets to hear me share something this morning. I work, yeah, as, as Pastor David said, with our, our global church planning family. Our vision is that together all of us would see the world at least everybody in the world have one opportunity to hear the name of Jesus in their language before they are taken off this earth. Is that not a fair dream and vision? And my heart, I share it for Canada as much the same as I do for the whole world. And I love young adults. I love that there were a thousand young people in the room um, at, at Mission Fest this weekend. And um, because our churches, you know, are kind of void of them, and we're, we're losing them. We're, we feel like we're irrelevant or something in this post-Christian world. Um, but I've given my life also to young adults and given, putting a big vision in front of them and calling them to live this message that I'm going to preach on uh, this morning, that we serve a God who, who saves us, redeems us for a purpose, for a reason, and it's, it's to reach others. So thanks for Thanks for having me back, and thanks for supporting my family. We're one of your missionaries um, of this church, and uh, so I, I, I'm always pumped to be back here. I'm gonna. I do have I do have a lot of stories, but I'm gonna I'm gonna skip the slide here because I was gonna tell you one about Southeast Asia that happened just at Christmas. Now I'm not really gonna do that, but it was kind of well, yeah, it was miraculous. Um, how, how God, hundreds and hundreds of people were coming to Christmas outreaches all over Thailand on the, on the borders of Myanmar and Cambodia and uh, were giving their lives to Jesus. There's a few churches planted because of Christmas outreaches in, uh, in Thailand and in some other countries. So I'm going to skip that slide and I want to dive right into the sermon today. And if I have time, I'll share the story at the end. But... Um, I, I love that you're in the book of Exodus. I've listened to one of Pastor David's sermons on it, and uh, I thought, what? He, get, he gave me the title, like, what is this mission that we're saved for? And so if you go back one slide, I call it living on mission. Well, it doesn't matter. Living on mission is what he, he calls this, um, he wanted me to preach on. What is the mission we've been saved for? And I thought, well, you're in the Old Testament, and I, I love, I'm going to open up by just doing a summary of something I love to do with young people, actually, is give them a survey of the Bible and show and pick out this theme that we serve a missionary God, actually. From the very beginning, when, when things fell apart and Adam and Eve, you know, sinned, and we know it as Christians as the fall, there's been a God who, who went to find them in the garden. And he says this missionary question, where are you? Where are you? And already we see a God who's seeking and saving people that he, who, 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 who messed up, who, who were not, who were fallen. And um, so we have, you may or may not know, online, maybe you're watching today and you don't know, there's, there's two part, big parts to our Bibles. And there's an Old Testament and there's a New Testament, an Old Covenant and a New Covenant. And um, in, it, right through the whole picture, though, you see this theme of God that loves his people. And in the Old Testament, there is a come and see how God, what God does for his people. 
I mean, Arun and Anjana talk about the power of, of being delivered from the de demons and healing. When you come and you see that firsthand because you bring someone to the church, now you know that there is a God in Israel or there is a God in that people group. And that's how the message gets out. Not too different as it was back in the Old Testament in the story that you're, you're following through Exodus. And, um, and the wandering and the, the amazing power of God. We see this theme. In Genesis 12, God picks a people. And there's this famous guy named Abram. And later on, Abraham. And God calls him to, to something. And he says in Genesis 12, Now go from your country and your kindred. That sounds like the video we just saw. Nothing new. Um, and your father's house, same thing, to a land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will, be a, I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And in all the families of the earth shall be blessed. There is this I will bless you so that you can be a blessing. And through you, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed that God gives to this family, Abraham, and his descendants. And it actually happened. He, God blessed, he poured out his blessing. And people came and saw. And, and as long as, you know, the family followed and served and was obedient, God's blessing and, and continued holiness happened in their people. Um, hey, Abraham, he's kind of catching his attention. You know, I, I have something for you and your family, but I want you to give it away. It it's kind of comes with a condition. I want you to steward it well. You really don't know what a blessing is, my friends, until you give something away. And it costs you something. And that's how, right in the beginning in the book of Genesis, we see God being on a, on a missionary redemption um, kind of path in this trajectory through the Bible. Then you read, you read through Exodus like you are doing, and you come to the stories of kings and judges. And then you come to Samuel, and you see, you come to this famous story that I don't know why kids like it because it's kind of gory, but David and Goliath, right? Um, you have, I could pick many stories, but here's a great illustration of the people of God on one side of a valley and the Philistines on the other side and a giant in the middle who's been taunting them for 40 days and 40 nights, come to me. And he's defying the armies of the living God and he's, he's coming against them. And the armies of the living God have forgotten who they are. They've forgotten who they serve. And there comes this little shepherd boy with a lunch named David down to visit his brothers who are at war. And they, he, he hears this and he says, who is this guy? who defies the armies of the living God. And his brothers say, you know, don't, don't, don't rock the boat, kid. You know, actually go home, take care of the sheep. And David makes his way to King Saul's tent, and he says, who, you know, who is this? And long story short, the king puts his armor on David, and that doesn't fit, so David sheds it, says, I just, I'm just going to go down to the brook, pick up five stones, that's all I'm going to need, because I'm going to take out this Goliath today. And David, you know, this little boy, young boy, walks out to a giant, and I could describe him. He's huge. He's, big. He's been scaring an entire army for 40 days and 40 nights. And David goes out there and he says this. David says to the Philistine, you come to me with sword and spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. 
Why? That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. The entire earth. This is a missionary story, friends. If you never get to this point in this gory battle between David and Goliath, and David wins, by the way, and there, it's, it's to be a testimony that we can share today that there's good news in this armies of the living God, and this story is for all nations. The Israelite army that day had a testimony that pointed to God who was consistent and powerful enough to save. You keep reading your Bibles through wisdom literature, Psalms and Proverbs, you see a God who helps, who saves, who comes near. You go through major and minor prophets, and you come to the story of Daniel. And it's a fabulous story as well. And the king in the day of Daniel was named King Darius. And he had appointed 120 young men and leaders to come and, 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 and be leaders of the whole kingdom. And of those 120, only three he made presidents. And one of those three presidents was this Hebrew boy named Daniel. Again, coming from the people of God and uh, people in exile... Here, he gets picked, and, and the pathway is chosen by God. And it's a nice, fabulous, long story of how these Hebrew boys found favor in the eyes of a pagan king, Darius. So much so, David becomes one of the three presidents, and the other two are very jealous. How can this outsider be made? Like, how is this? And all of the, the wise men around the king, they are like, we've got to take this Daniel out. So they convince the king to write an oil, royal edict. And he, they say, king, you're like a god. You ever meet any, you read about political leaders who think they are like gods these days? Probably a few names come to mind. You are like a god. And he said, he, in his heart, he's like, wow, yes, I am. Why don't you say for 30 days, anybody who prays to any other god but you, King Darius, we throw them in the den of lions. And the king gets kind of his arm twisted and he doesn't think it through fully and he signs. And Daniel hears about it and knows full well that he could be in trouble. But what does he do? He goes up to his room, not into the cellar. He goes to a, the room overlook and he opens the window and in front of an open window, he prays. He prays. And he gets found out. He gets thrown in a den of lions. Another great story we could preach a whole sermon on. But I want to pick up on what happens when the next day, King Darius goes and opens up. I don't know, how do you, how do you open up the den of wine? The cage? Does he look down? I'm not sure. As a kid, I picture him looking down into some sort of a cavern, right? And he's peering in, and this is what King Darius says that day. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples of the nations and the languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before who? The God of who? The God of Daniel. For he is a living God and enduring and forever. He says all these things before he gets to actually what, hap what he, he visually saw. He's an enduring God. His kingdom will never be destroyed. His dominion shall be to know it to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions is this kind of a God. It's the, it's the God of Daniel. I would love it if my neighborhood said the God of 
Zachary, Sam's son, is so powerful that the whole high school or university class needs to sit up and pay attention. That's kind of what was happening. The God of so-and-so. So, you know, there was a decree that defied the armies of God, that there was a decree that was kind of contra- that crossed lines. Don't pray and bow to a human king. Go in front of your windows, Hebrew people, and be bold like Daniel, and I'll save you from the den of lions. But not just for you. The story's not just for you. I want it to be told and proclaimed for all time and to the ends of the earth. So for us, there's this blessing that was like, much like for Abraham. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to protect you when you are obedient. Why? So that for everyone else, the peoples of the nations will know that there is one true living God. When God speaks, we must obey. When God invites us to be holy, the Israelites were, were to be holy. And uh, uh, the more holy they were, the more favor of God seemed to be upon them. And they often strayed. They wandered. <laughs> they messed up many times. And then there was this gracious, there was anger. And then there was a gracious God that forgot and forgave and continued to extend relationship because he wanted the world to know that he was a just, holy and loving God. And through this people, he was preparing to send his son, Jesus, into this world that would change the covenant completely. So in the Old Testament, there's this message of come and see this God that does amazing things for his people. And you see kings and queens come and visit the people of God to just see what God is like. And then in the New Testament, you have Jesus who was sent by God the Father to show us what God is like. And he was a refugee, and that's who God is like. He left home, and he came down. And instead of just to come and see this amazing story that God is writing through the people of God or the people of Eagle Ridge, now is the message in the Old Testament through Jesus, go and tell. Go and tell. Some are going to stay and, you know, reach cities. Some are going to reach our neighbors, Judea and Samaria. And some are going to model for us like Arun and Anjana Pasi to leave North India. And they're going to come to a pagan home called Canada, Abbotsford, where it's called a Bible Belt. And hundreds of thousands of people still don't know Jesus and don't know that there's a God who cares about their pain and suffering, and a God who cares about that emptiness inside them and wants to redeem them as well. So what about this Jesus? There's this story. Jesus is now right at the beginning of Luke where he announces himself to his village, basically. He's grown up in a, in a carpenter's family. We just celebrated his birth about a month ago, right? How he came... Mary and Joseph, immaculate, miraculous birth. He grows up, and Jesus is, is in his early 30s when this story takes place in Luke 4. He's done one miracle in some other town, not his hometown. They've heard about this water, water into wine thing, and they're like, maybe the son of Joseph will come and do it here. Wouldn't that be cool if we also were recipients of this blessing? And certainly, when he starts to announce his story, they really hope if he is the Messiah, he's going to kick out the, kick out the Romans and, and be a real ruler. So this is all going on when he comes home. And in Luke 4, 
Jesus has just come also. There's one other thing he did. He went into the desert. He confronts um, Satan in the desert after 40 days of fasting. And now he returns home. And he has some things to say when he announces who he is to the world. And he's following up John the Baptist who also told him there's a guy coming. And this is what Jesus says. He's handed the scroll of Isaiah on that day as he returns home to, uh, from the Jordan to his hometown in Nazareth. He's given this huge scroll. Some say it's like it's pieces of leather sewn together. Just the scroll of Isaiah is 26 feet long. So it's a big deal. It's like, think of tubes, you know. He unrolls it. I don't know if he walks along it and then he finds the place. But he comes to Isaiah 61. And this is Jesus in Luke 4 when he's talking to his home crowd. And the scroll of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it was written this, from Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And all the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him. And they began to say, he began to say to them, today this scripture, so the the liberty to the, the oppressed and the sight to the blind and the good news to the poor and all of that, it's being fulfilled in your midst right now. And all spoke well of him. And they marveled at his gracious words coming out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? Yes, he's back. He's coming to be this for us. This is like a celebrity visit. And we're the first recipients of it. No one had a problem with what Jesus was talking about. Everyone was in awe. They were so pleased he had come home. And again, I said, they'd heard about his miracle in, in Cana. And they actually asked him, hey, could you do it here too? Well, Jesus says this. He says, no prophet is actually going to be acceptable in his hometown. And then he went on to say a few things, and the crowd's going to change its tone. Jesus says, but I tell you in truth, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months, and a great famine came over the whole land. And Elijah was sent to none of them. He was sent to none of the widows in Israel. Instead, he was sent only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. Now, from Isaiah 61 to this, you could hear a pin drop, I'll bet. And they're scratching their head and go, why is he talking about an outsider getting the blessing of Elijah's visit during a famine? Isn't this God the God for us? This God of Abraham who blesses us? Why is Jesus, of all the things he could say when he's addressing his family and home crowd in the synagogue, picking this story? What is going on here? What is this all about? Isn't this Joseph's? This shouldn't be coming out of his mouth. Joseph's son. Jesus hasn't quite finished. And he's got another story to illustrate who he really is going to be about. And he continues in verse 27. This is just sequential. Isaiah 61, story of Elijah. Now it's another story. And he says, there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them, none of them was cleansed. They all had leprosy and they stayed in their leprosy. 
but only Naaman, the Syrian, when he was cleansed. When he heard these things, all the, so when Jesus said this and they heard these things, all the synagogue was now filled with wrath from, oh, hallelujah, Joseph's boy is home, to wrath for naming a widow's blessing and a Syrian commander. And they rose, they drove him out of town, and they brought him to the brow of a hill on which their town was built so they could throw him off the cliff. That is an interesting turn of events in your hometown. (laughs) I'm not going home, back to where I came from to preach anymore, if that's what's going to happen to you. But what is really going on here, friends? Somehow this blessing of God, bless us, bless us, bless us, take care of us, take care of us, Jesus is kind of turning on his head and saying, I am now going to be, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to actually force you to pick sides. Are you going to be with me, who has a mission to everybody, or are you going to just stay in your own little group? And Jesus is, you know, is saying, the time of fulfillment has come. I am the one, but I'm not who you think I am. I'm different, and I want you to go and share this message with everyone. And I want you to do it like Elijah did and Elisha did. And this is a complete reversal of what people were thinking. This is a message of being, of taking the good news to the outsider. And so much so, there's so much ingrained and so much offense, they want to throw him off a cliff. And Jesus is like, yeah, you know, I'm not, I'm going to frustrate enough people, they'll hang me on a cross, but I'm not ready to die just yet. Give me three years. Give me another three years. So how is it the same God of the Old Testament, the same power, but here in this new covenant and testament, Jesus is saying, I want my power to be on display for everyone. I want everyone to be in on this news. I want transformation for everyone. And it's time the missionary heart of God, radically revealed in me, God the Father, fully God, Jesus, the Son of God, and now I'm going to give it to the church that's going to be empowered by my spirit to take this gospel to the ends of the earth. Are you ready for this? He's telling his home crowd, and clearly they weren't. Are we ready for this message that we hear so much Talk, 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 talk about. I have blessed you, God is saying, so that we can be a blessing to steward who we are, to steward our families and time and our wealth and our resources and our agency and our energy and the gift of life on this earth for the sake of others, you know, so that others will know that there is a God who loves them. This is an amazing object lesson. I should have planned this. I couldn't have planned it better. You need every single family and children that are going to get what's in here, these, these, these great kits are created in the image of God with incredible delight and design. And they're all on a journey of worshiping their creator and knowing him, perhaps. And these might be little tools that God will use to catch their attention. And you might have a testimony that says, there is a God here that, and that has in, discipled us to share. Not just stuff, but stuff to be a representation of a message. 
that God's heart is on display for every single people group in Coquitlam. Not just guys and gals who look like me with Germanic descent and a story and a history that God loves just as much as everyone's. You know, I, what does living on mission look like today? What does it, what, what is it? I'm telling you, it's not a geographical location. For some people like Arun and Anjana and some people in here, it is in some ways. It can move us, I've preached so many times, about the God who calls us out and to leave. But I'm, I think today I just want to leave you with this thought that I think mission and living on mission is more of an alignment than it is a leaving geography. You know, like you're always feeling like, oh, woe is me because I'm not called to some cross-cultural work. Here's the mission sermon again. And this guy who's going to make it. No. But are you aligned with the missionary heart of God, which says, I've given you some things to steward. And will you sacrifice in love to give away and hold out with open hands, not closed hands, storing up treasures where moth and rust can destroy, but with open hands saying, God, I want to be a part of a legacy. Give me an inheritance of people and people groups that will outlive me and my family. That message is for every young person in here as much as it is for everybody who is 70 and plus <laughs> years old. Give me an inheritance that will outlive us. We do that with open hands. I want to leave you with something that I think might also be kind of helpful. And Andy Crouch, who used to be the, the editor of Christianity Today, now serves with Praxis Academy. And I took a class two years ago with him and online, um, which was called Redemptive Entrepreneurship. And it kind of, he ties in this idea of calling to living on mission in this way. He, Andy says, actually, we don't have one calling, friends. We have three. And here's, here's how he articulates them. Our first calling is this. I've kind of touched on it. It's to bear the image of God with everyone. And that we share with every single human being on the planet. Bear with me for a minute. You're like, what? Every single one of us were created by the creator and all of us are called to reflect the creator, his, to reflect praise back to the creator. Most human work falls under this category, which is why Christians gladly work alongside their neighbors in neighborhoods, who, people who may or may not share faith to pick up trash or clean things up. It's why most humans want to steward the earth well and make it a better place for their kids. It comes from this intrinsic part that God created all of it and has given it to us, and he's created humans in his own likeness. <clears throat> and so there was a mandate for all humanity to be fruitful and multiply in the Genesis passage, to care and cultivate this good world. So our work matters to God. Our work. Not just our, you know, learning and our Bible reading, our work, what we build, why we build it, how we build it, matters. Because we are bearing the image of a creative, innovative God. I hope that gives you some delight and peace that you live on mission when you, when you bear the image well. Second thing is our second calling. 
These two are the most important. The third one is just kind of falls into place. The second one is this. When you know Jesus and you put your life in his hands and you start to follow him, we now are image restorers. What does that mean? Well, we share this with every single member of the family of God. Just most of us don't actually know this. Haven't been taught this well. Modeled well. Why? Because we're still so scared of, we want to hoard our stuff. We want to keep it for ourselves. But no, we as image restorers don't just till and keep the earth. But we actively seek places where the image has been lost. We place ourselves in particular risk on behalf, on behalf of victims of the idolatry of this land and injustice, right? We stand. We are the first to stand up for injustice issues. We're the first to use our talents and our gifts on behalf of society and others who might consider themselves unworthy. We go to unpopular places and people groups, do we not? And in that way, we are unique in becoming image restorers. I kind of like that. And by the way, we don't fulfill this by ourselves. No one person does this. It's a community that God calls his people to, to reflect and restore this image. I love that picture. So what is your calling? It's to bear the image of God today and for the rest of the week and the rest of your life. And it's to be an image restorer if you follow Yahweh and Jesus Christ, his son. If you're doing this in paid service or unpaid voluntary work, you are fulfilling your calling. Well, what's number three, Sam? <laughs> well, if you get the first two right, the third one just falls into place. Andy Crouch calls it this. Your third calling is to make the most of today while it is called today. That's it. You, it's kind of a contingent calling, number three. It's, it means that we are in a certain place at a certain time. We have a certain work situation. We have a certain school situation. We have, you know, a certain age that we all are. And it all changes all the time. It's dependent on things we can't control. Right? Let me explain, right? We have, we have memory and energy and reason and attention and, and maybe a degree or a training or a title or a position that we bring to today to steward as image restorers and image bearers. But these things are dependent on many other things outside of our control. For instance, Christians in Ukraine are called to the same thing, to be image bearers and image restorers. But their contingent calling today looks very much more challenging than it did a year and a half ago, right? But it doesn't change who they are. Some things that we have today because of health or whatever, econo economy, can, your business can go south because of something you can't control. It doesn't change who you are. As one who is to steward what you have been given today while it is called today. A war in Myanmar may actually burn down coffee drying stations and churches, but it doesn't change the calling we share to be image bearers, image restorers. It's just how they appropriate that is very different in a context. But I'm telling you, they do it with huge joy and delight. My friends in Myanmar, our global workers from Thailand are right now in Yangon in the capital city. They told me they were pretty nervous before they went back into the war zone um, just a few weeks ago. 
But the photos, I don't have my phone here, are lighting up of people worshiping. They're doing a coffee and discipleship training. I love it. And people are hearing the good news. They're stewarding what they have. So don't worry about your calling. This is who you are. I'm telling you who we are. And in this world, living on mission means coming close to people as our God did. It means accepting the invitations and embracing the interruptions of life like our God does and did, as inconvenient as they might be and uncomfortable as they might be, and then kind of incarnating Jesus. What does that mean? That's a big Christian word. It just means do what Jesus did. Live like he did. Live how you see the God of the Bible live as he extends the blessing unto others. And it means knowing Jesus deeply so that his love can overflow out of us. I'm not asking you to do more. I don't think. I think I'm just asking us to come in alignment with the missionary heart of God that loves everybody on the planet. I, um, here's a quote I'll end with. Can we get to that last slide? We went right to, well, you're good, Conrad. Man, he's back to the beginning. See, a lot of us think this is about me or about us, but Andy Crouch ends this Three Callings article by saying this. You know, I'm so interested in this expressive individual that I call me. Or we could say my family and my heritage and my lineage and my upbringing and my, my, my people group and color and people who are like me. But scripture, turns out, is not to be interested in me hardly at all. It's somewhat more interested in me being a member of a community. That's good. Connected to the na- one of the nations on the earth. But really, this is what scripture is interested in. It's interested in God. And God's mission in the world. God's commissioning of a people. And God's gracious invitation to me to stop being so interested in me. And start being absolutely fascinated by his mission. I love that. I thought it was good enough to just end a sermon on that note. So I pray by God's grace that God would make us less interested in ourselves and more interested in a God who called Abraham, who miraculously was on display in all the stories of the Old Testament and the Exodus story that you're studying. Manna in the desert, I think, you know, was God's provision last week that you may have heard a sermon on. But it was so that the world will know that there is a God who loves everybody and has died on a cross to save them. Amen? Amen. Amen.